Greetings and felicitations. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thank you for joining me for another episode, a rousing episode. Eh, what the hell? It's just another episode of the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. Well, we're going to cover, once again, we're going to cover a lot of ground. That's why I don't really like giving specific titles to each episode, which is what what's required with uh, Anchor. You know, they want you to give you um, an overview of the, of the episode and then a title. And I have to dig it through all my head to find a title to give this thing. Eventually I do, and I leave it because that's just the way it is. So anyway, we're going to cover more ground. We're going to talk about this, that. We're going to talk about me. We're going to talk about my life on Dallas, which is what this whole podcast was about. But I tend to go off on tangents and talk about politics and politics and politics because that's what I live on right now. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about me and my life, my miserable love life, my worthless love life, and where I'm at, and just a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, hopefully it's entertaining and uh, gets you through an hour of your day. I hope I hope you enjoy what I'm doing. I mean, I do it most. It's kind of like therapy for me. And uh, well, you know, if you've been following, if you're one of my six or seven listeners now, thank you. Um, tell your friends. Hey, if you got nothing better to do than to listen to this guy whine, well, come on. Let's get it on, and we'll see what happens. But uh, well, let's get into it, and let me leave you with the stylings of one Billy Preston. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. No, this is not Wayne's World, but uh, I think the song's appropriate. Well, if death has a waiting room, this is it. Dialysis. Uh, The one time that when we were all together in the waiting room, waiting to go into treatment, we complain, we talk. And we share each other's we ideas with each other. The one thing that we all have in common in the waiting room is that we're all waiting for death. Don't get me wrong. I understand we all are waiting for death, no matter where you are. If you're in the gym, if you're cruising on the highway, if you're flying in an airplane to Hawaii or Tahiti or some faraway place, we're all in death's waiting room. I'm not trying to sound morbid, but it's the God's honest truth. We're all waiting to die. Some of us make the best of it. We jump out of airplanes. We swim with sharks and whales. And we make love to every woman or man that we can. Because we're all in death's waiting room. The magazines aren't all that great. Sometimes the passing fancies are. 
when people open up and tell you how they really feel. Uh, my day-to-day existence is just that, it's existence. Uh, when I look back on my life, yeah, I did a hell of a lot of things. I did some things people still have never done in their lives. And there are people that have done things I'll never, I've never done or will ever do. That's just life. You know, you live it. And as uh, Joe Dirt once said, life's a garden. Dig it. So you do the best you can. We, we all do. I know that. But basically, we're all in death's waiting room. And the music sucks because it's a waiting room. But the conversation and the camaraderie makes it well. So like I said, when I'm there with my brethren, we're all on the same wavelength. We're waiting to die. We learn things from one another. Oh, man, I tell you what, I've learned a whole lot about being on dialysis. Uh, and I know what's wrong with me. I know every day, every treatment, it's one tick closer to actual, actual death. <clears throat> I was thinking about an old friend of mine. His name was Art. I don't remember his last name. I think it was Maldonado. I knew him when I worked at adult, with adult probation. He's a good guy. He was a musician. Like playing in his band. He played the trumpet or something. I forget. But anyway, he was on dialysis. I didn't know that at the time. My hell, at the time, I didn't even know what dialysis was. But I knew he was a sick man. And some days he would come in not looking too good. Some days he would be great just like I am. And then uh, I left the department and then I found out that about a year later he died. He had the same problem I do, lack of circulation in the lower extremities. And I have that. I have problems with circulation in my legs. Uh, and many diabetics do. That's why they lose a, a foot or a leg in the course of their illness. I do have one friend that lost both legs from uh, below the knee, but he does well. He uh, he gets around on crutches and on his prosthetics. He had to learn how to walk, and you know what? That's that's what you got to do. I mean, when my time came, where I almost had an amputation, uh, I tried to meet it with as much bravery as I could. Maybe it was a little bit of false bravery, but bravery nonetheless. <clears throat> but like I said. I've learned many things about being on dialysis from other dialysis patients. Funny thing is, I never learned this from any of the medical staff. It's almost like they want to keep us in the dark. You know, the less you know, the better off you are. But I'm just the opposite. The more I know, it empowers me. And I think that's why I'm not very well appreciated at that clinic, because I know what's going on. I know the score. I think we all do, but we just kind of keep it bottled up to ourselves. But that's, isn't that the course of it? I guess. But uh, this the whole purpose of this podcast is to let you know where I'm at so that you don't get here. That way you live a long, full life with your functioning kidneys and functioning heart and liver and mind. And then, you know, you just get better at life and you live it because that's all we, any of us can do. <clears throat> so getting back to my clinic, uh, I haven't seen the facility administrator for quite some time. Nobody has. And see, this is part of the problem. We had a facility, an FA, I'm just going to say FA from now on, an FA that uh, was Oh, he was spot on. He was spot on with the patients. Everybody loved him. He would talk to you every day. He would be there. Sometimes he'd be there at 4.30 in the morning when they would open to greet the patients, to bring them in and get them hooked up. His name was Alberto Perez. He's still around. I don't know where he's at now, but the man's still around. He's a good guy. He's aces in my book. This guy would talk to you. He knew every patient by their first name. He would treat you like a human being. He would treat you with a lot of respect and dignity, which is something you don't get a whole lot of in these clinics. 
<clears throat> so sometimes he would be there, like I said, at 4.30 in the morning. If he'd had a technician that didn't show up, he would jump in and fill that, that position so that way the patients did not get uh, backed up. You see, once again, the philosophy of the patients come first, in effect, with that man. When uh, lab results came back, he would go down with each individual patient and go over their entire lab results and explain to them what happened, how it happened, or how to fix it, uh, what they could do to fix it. He was there. His office door was always open. And nine times out of ten, the clinic was his office because that's where he was most of the time. He was also a registered nurse. <clears throat> Now, one day, and I think I've told you this story before, Alberto went to the bosses upstairs, the doctor, the main doctor upstairs, Dr. Masari. I said, look, uh, I've been coming in early, above and beyond, and I just want to know if you can pay me for the time that I've been coming in early because I have been basically working for free. So he had all this overtime logged in. And the doctors said, no, we're not going to authorize this overtime because this, you went you went past your requirements. You went above, above, and beyond. So his question was, you know, so don't the patients come first? Shouldn't I devote my time to them? And shouldn't I, like, get paid for it? <clears throat> the doctors didn't see it that way. Or let me not say the doctors, the doctor didn't see it that way and said, no, we're not going to pay you. So with a lot of frustration and uh, trepidation, uh, Alberto quit. It was his choice to quit. Yes, I, I understand that. But it also did us a great disservice <clears throat> because we weren't going to have him around anymore. He called me into his office and told me of his of his resignation because and he told me what had happened. And once again, it was another stick against this, this clinic, you know, this institution. <clears throat> so Alberto left. And we went a few months without an FA, and then they hired a new person. Uh, I won't mention her name because she's still out there in the world. and She wasn't anybody's favorite. She didn't like us. She didn't care for us. She didn't, to us, it was, this was just a job. And it was a stepping stone for her to the next job, and it seems that's that to be it seems to be the, the pattern. So she lasted about a little less than a year, and then she was gone. She quit. She had found the gig that she wanted, and I hope they love her over there, where whatever hospital she's in. And then we hired a new girl, Brandy, Brandy Rubio, registered nurse. Came in like gangbusters. She was on top of the world. She was on top of her job. And everybody loved her. Even myself. And then things changed. Things started to change. She she came in and she cracked the whip on everybody. Patients. She did establish a rapport with us. We liked her at first. At first. And then uh, she cracked the whip on the employees, on the staff. And they were on top of it. They were on their game. And then it started to erode a little bit. People started getting soft and lax. And even the procedures were becoming laxed. And uh, I noticed this because that's all I do is watch and see what happens. So we still have, at present date, RFA is still the same person. But like I said, I haven't seen her in a while. Because you see, the whole thing like with Alberto, she came, she would come in early sometimes, sometimes. She doesn't do that anymore. It's a very rare thing to see her there at 4.30 in the morning. Why? Because they're not paying them for it. Their pay schedule starts at 8 o'clock. And it ends at 5. And they're gone. That's, that's what happened to the one before Brandy did. She worked her hours and then she left. In this kind of clinic, you have to be a little bit more in tune with the patients, I guess, because we're all in death's waiting room. 
that's a God's honest truth. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not mincing words because I can't, I don't have the time for it. <clears throat> so we sit here and we slowly rot because that's what we do. We're dying. All of us. If you're in perfect health and you've got a wonderful family, a wonderful girlfriend, a wonderful lover, cherish them, cherish that because it will never come again. Maybe, maybe not. But right now, Live in the now, as an old friend of mine used to say. And that's what you got to do. You got to live in the now. You got to be it. You got to live it. You got to dig it. And make the best of your life because it's going to be very short and very fleeting. <clears throat> I'm not saying this to scare you or to scare anybody. But if you can make your life better, if you can make your life healthier, then do so. If you drink a lot, tone it back. Tone it down a little bit. If, you, uh, if you're smoking, quit. You'll live longer if you do. Just quit the cigarettes, quit smoking. I mean, I, I, I can't say that I'm on top of it. I mean, I smoke the occasional cigar. That's just me. But I used to be a smoker and I quit. I quit in 1986. I was a smoker for 11 years. I started in 77 when I was a junior in high school. And smoked all during my Navy time, my Navy days. And then I quit in 1986 because I got tired of waking up, spitting up phlegm. But yeah, every now and then I'll smell cigarette smoke and it takes me back. But you know what? Things have changed. If you do drugs, and I don't judge, quit. If you're doing coke or crank or meth, quit. If you're doing heroin, quit. Or seek help to quit. Because it's going to kill you. It will kill you. You're not going to win at that game. You think you're on top of it. Oh, you're like a gambler in Vegas. Once you start, you can't stop until it kills you. And that's the way this all works. If you can just tone it down. And I'm saying, you don't have to quit outright because it's hard. Tone it down little by little until you turn it off. If you need help to do that, get help. It's out there. You just got to look for you. You've already seen it. You know where it is. All right, you're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Stick around, be right back. Welcome back, and we are now back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Good morning. It is zero dark thirty once again, as when we always seem to congregate here and uh, deal with what we're dealing with. Well, <clears throat> some time back, I told you that I reconnected with some of my old shipmates from my Navy days, and two of them in particular from my last ship from Sandlands was a radioman by the name of Ron Bernard, who we know is Bernie, and my other friend, Mike Evans, who was a Soderman as well as I was. And we were basically the three amigos. We hung out together. I think we lived together in the same barracks room for, for a short period. And then <clears throat> we had many adventures. Of course, we were pirates, remember? And uh, I reconnected with them recently on social media. Actually, I reconnected with Bernie. And then Bernie said, hey, Mike would probably like to hear from you. And he gave me his home number. See, Mike's not really big on social media. So there you go. Some people are smart. Mike was always a smart cookie. Maybe if we all stayed on social media, we'd be better better people, better off. So hold on, I'm going to take a pull of the coffee. 
So, uh, Mike likes to talk football. Funny thing is, when I knew him in the Navy, he wasn't big on sports. You know, Bernie was a free spirit. He's a good guy. That's I think that's why we liked him. Mike and I were both also free spirits. Mike lives in North Carolina right now. Well, he always has. He went back home. Just like I came home to San Antonio and been here ever since. Bernie has bounced around because he was stationed. Bernie retired from the military, believe it or not. I thought Bernie had tried to get himself kicked out. But sometimes fate has other plans for us. So Bernie ended up retiring. Uh, he lives in Ohio now with a wife. And he seems to be happy. Mike seems to be happy. I'm the only one that doesn't seem to be happy. But then again, I'm still looking. I'm still searching. And maybe I'll find it. Maybe I won't. Because it's like I've told you. They they know that life is was a pursuit. So you will go about it looking for it, looking for it, looking for it until you either find it or you die. So, there. <clears throat> so I've been reconnecting with them. And yesterday I texted my friend Mike. and we, He likes to talk football, so we were talking about the trades the Cowboy made in the, uh, in the draft. And, uh, you know, that was that. So then... I was cleaning out my text message folder and there was one I got from uh, someone who I didn't know who it was. It was just said, have a happy Easter. They sent a cute little buddy and I sent one back. So before I cleaned it out, I texted that person. I said, hey, uh, you know, I got a text from you on Easter, but I don't know who you are. And then he said, it was me. It's, Bern it's Ron Bernard, Radio Man Extraordinaire. And I was like, oh, Bernie, okay. So then I said, hey, man, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then next thing you know, we're texting each other back about doing a reunion of the three amigos. And I told him, I said, of all the people that I miss in my life, I miss you and Mike the most. You were men that I shed blood with, that I laughed, that I cried, that I nearly died with. And... Uh, I would love to see the two of you. And we stopped, we were talking about a reunion. He was saying that his wife would probably love to come down to South Padre to collect seashells on the shore while the two, three of us get drunk. I told him of my medical woes and, and misfortunes and that I try not to let it hinder me, but it does because it does. Mike is a retired postal worker living in North Carolina. He's had his shares of trials and tribulations, but the thing that, that I think I admire the most about those two guys is that <clears throat> what, they've been, what they've been through, they still see life with a very positive note. I'm kind of a little bit more cynical. Funny thing is, is when we were in the Navy, when we were young men, Mike was the very cynical one. But he did it with an air of, uh, with a philosophical air added to it. Bernie was just, just a wild, he was, he was a lot like, uh, I don't want to say Forrest Gump, but he was just very, you know, he just let it happen. And maybe that's what I admired about him. It's funny, we see things in our friends that we wish we could see in ourselves. Even though those traits are there, we just don't recognize them. So once again, what are you going to do? <clears throat> so anyway, we're just going to start talking about a reunion where, you know, I, I have to find something that's within my budget because of my constraints. But hey, if they're willing to come down to Texas, we can go to South Padre for a couple of days and reconnect. I miss those men. I love them. They're, they are my brothers. They are my family. And uh, it would do my soul a world of good to see them again. To have dinner with them, to drink, share a drink, share a laugh, 
and maybe even cry a little bit as to things that have happened to us that we never had that person to put your shoulder to your head on your, their shoulder and just and just cry and just let it out. I miss them in that way. They are my friends. They always will be forever in my heart, my mind, and my soul. I love those two men. I love them dearly. I know it sounds weird to say, but it's the God's honest truth. I do love those men, so miss them. Yes, I do. That is a true power of friendship, I think. When you shared something with someone that no one else can take away from you, no matter how hard they try, they can't erase that. Sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. But when I went to Israel, they were with me. They still are. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. We'll be right back. Yar, mateys, and we be back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet, me hearty. I'm your host, Ben-Hur, One-Eyed Jack. Talking like a pirate because back in my day, I was a pirate. I was a pirate in the United States Navy. You didn't think pirates existed, but we do. They're called submariners. We're the only ones that have the, the gumption and the wherewithal to set in foot a 300-foot sewer pipe and live there for 90 to 180 days, sometimes even longer if you're a boomer sailor. But I don't know about boomer sailors because I was a hunter-killer in my day. And I served with a flurry of great souls, friends to this day, friends to the end. And two are in particular that I talked to you about in the earlier segment, Bernie and Mac. Went everywhere together, we pirated together, we shared booty together. Not that kind of booty, but you know what I mean. So this little segment I'm going to call Sea Stories because I've never really shared much of the things that I did when I was in the Navy, when I was a pirate. So I thought I'd share this time. <clears throat> you know, you've all been inundated with the, uh, with the commercials on TV about the toxic water at Camp Lejeune. If you were a Marine and you served in the Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1987, you're entitled to some sort of compensation because you may have some sort of cancer that's going to kill you. Well, <clears throat> I don't know how that, well, I understand how that happened. The water was contaminated, but in my case, if you're a submariner and you live forward of your uh, power source, you slept at one time or another next to a torpedo, maybe even a subrock nuclear weapon. If you didn't, many of us who slept in the birthing compartments slept 20 to 30 feet from a nuclear reactor. And my balls haven't shriveled up. Ah, my kidneys got, got killed, but they can't prove that was done from nuclear waste or nuclear radiation because I never got a big enough dosage to do anything, or so they say, right? Wink, wink. The military doesn't tell you anything because basically you're one big experiment if you need be, and you have no choice over that because you signed a piece of paper that made you government property for X number of years. So with that said, let's get rolling on to sea stories. When I was serving, on my second ship, I made three med runs. A med run is something that you kind of relish because it's a lot of time at sea, but you don't because it's a lot of time at sea. But when you pass that time with wonderful guys like the ones I served with, it makes it all that much more bearable. So for that, I say to my friends, Mike and Bernie, thank you for letting me, helping me survive. That's what you do. You help each other. So anyway, we've made, I made three med runs 
and this one in particular. Now, I was a hard-charging pirate. I love to get drunk. I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I was probably, that's when my alcoholism started. And then it progressed to new heights, new lows. But getting back to the med, we were in the med. We were for our first med run. And I remember getting drunk a lot. And at one point, getting caught with a bottle of booze in my back pocket, which was a no-no. Transporting liquor across a, a naval ship was a big no-no. <clears throat> so I went to Captain's Mass Forward. I was put on restriction. And one of the restriction terms was I had to stay on board for the duration. So I did my punishment. I served my time. And I needed to get off the ship. I really did. I really needed to get off bed because I was starting to I was trying to climb the walls. <clears throat> there was a buddy of mine. He was also in my division. Brett Moore. Good guy. Crazy guy. He was crazier than I was. So we were sitting in the torpedo room staring at each other. And then he told me that there was a weird Navy regulation that said a person on restriction can be taken on the ship for liberty, provided he was in the in the uh, custody of a petty officer. We took that rule to new lows. We both took a request chip and requested liberty. And in the in the comment sections, we put down that we were going to be escorted by petty officer Moore. And on his chat, he, re he requested that he was going to be escorted by Petty Officer Hernandez. Now, the duty officer wasn't really hip. He was kind of a young guy, so he really didn't know the, the ins and outs. And I don't think he knew either that we were both on restriction, but he approved both chits. So I prepared to go on liberty with Bruce, with, with Brett as my escort, and he with Ias as escort. Weird, right? So now we're these two guys on restriction. We've changed into our civvies. We hop up topside waiting for the Liberty launch to take us to the main town because we were anchored offshore. So <clears throat> the Liberty barges are going to be back for another hour. But they're just hoping to be, be a ship there. Well, it wasn't a ship. It was a boat. And they were taking off our garbage. So we asked them if we could got a cap hop a ride. So Brett and I get on this garbage scow and they proceed to start taking us into the, 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 the harbor, the harbor town to La Madalena. So we're, we're on this garbage boat. There's all this garbage pile up behind us. Brett pulls out a duber and we light it up. And we proceed to get high as we watch the stars and the lights get closer and closer. And it was weird. Then even way before the movie came out, we did a uh, Titanic thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, the whole thing where they was on the bow of the ship and stretched out arms. And we were high as kites, man. We proceeded to go into the town and tear it up, which is what we did. We were pirates. So we're having a good time. We're getting drunk, and we're as a whole. We went to this bar where everybody was, all the, the rest of the crew was, and we're all getting drunk and throwing glasses and knocking things around. And the the owner of the, the joint was loving it. He never had so much business. So <clears throat> I remember leaving the bar by myself. I was drunk as a skunk and still high as a kite. And I was in a mood for a little terrorism. So I'm walking down the road and I see this VW bug and I think, wow, it would be really cool if I could drive this bug back to the bar, pick up my friends and we just go cruising around the island. Well, the person that owned that vehicle, and I feel bad for what I did, but I was drunk. I was a pirate. You do what pirates do, right? So I got into the vehicle. He left it open. It wasn't locked. And I noticed that a lot of people in Europe leave their cars unlocked. Maybe not now because of the terrorism thing, but. Back in 1982, they left their cars unlocked. 
So I got into this car with no trouble at all, and I'm trying to jumpstart it, you know, because it's a large it's a little VW micro bus. But I still got to push it with one leg, pop the clutch, try to get it started. It wouldn't start. So I got frustrated with it. And I remember just tearing up the insides, bending the, the stick shift and, and whatever else I could break, the rearview mirror. Yes, I, I was very, very treacherous in my early days. <clears throat> so I left the, uh, the vehicle where it was and continued walking, smashed a couple of windows. I remember that because I was, I was angry. And I had anger issues back then. <clears throat> so by the time I know it, I was back at the pier. And so I'm walking down the pier. I said, I might as well go back to the boat and go to sleep because, you know, I don't like being like this. So I'm sitting there waiting for the Liberty Blanche and it starts to rain. And I get even angrier. So I want to take my rage out, excuse me, on whatever I could. The only thing that was there besides the phone booth on the pier was a Honda 350 motorcycle. It was parked right next to the to the phone booth. There was somebody in the phone booth, but I didn't know who it was. I didn't. I was too drunk to recognize him. So I remember in my rage, walking to the motorcycle, lifting it up with both hands over my head, and tossing it into the ocean, and vented my rage with a loud primal scream. About this time, I heard the Liberty Barge's horn go off, and there she was. So I staggered over to her. I'm soaking wet because this rain was pouring down. And I climbed onto the Liberty Barge. I was the only one on board, soaking wet, and we went back to the ship. I got off, went back aboard, went to my rack, undressed, threw my left, my wet clothes on the deck, Climbed into bed and went to went to sleep. Passed out. <clears throat> the next day, I got up, got some dry clothes out of my bunk, put my wet ones to to wash. Staggered into the cruise mess and got a big cup of coffee. And I'm sitting there, and then the cook yells at me. He goes, "Hey, Hank." That's when I was called back then. I said, "Yeah." He said, man, you were a freaking animal. Now, he didn't say freaking, but you know what I mean. It's a children's show. So I said, what? what? What are you talking about? He said, I was in the phone booth talking to my wife. When you came by, you picked up that motorcycle and you threw it in the ocean. I said, I, I did that? I don't recall doing that. He said, I, I was looking right at you. He goes, I was talking to my wife and I couldn't believe it. I was regaling to her what you were doing. After you threw the motorcycle in the water, you screamed, and then you walked over to the Liberty, the Liberty launch, which was arriving, and you got in, and that's the last I saw of you until this morning. And I was like, oh, my God. And then I'm wondering, what else did I do? And that's when it all started coming back to me. Some of my days weren't exactly the best. You know, I did some really stupid things in my youth, but who hasn't? You know, we try to be good people. But when you're under the influence of drugs and alcohol, that's why they're bad. They're bad. You do stupid things. But that was it for this tale of sea stories. You're listening to the Cheerland Chronicles. We'll be right back. Stick around. Here we go. If you were And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thank you for sticking around. Well, if you're wondering where I'm at in my breakup, 
I think I'm slowly getting over the depression. And then I had a touch of anger. It came back. The thing is about the five stages of grief is that you never know when they're going to hit. And you may be in the stages of one when you get twinges of the other coming back for for uh, uh, an encore. And you just deal with it as best you can right now. Like I said, I'm getting over the depression. I had a touch of the anger. I also had a touch of the bargaining where I was like, for a whole day, I was like, oh, please, God, if she comes back, I'll do this and this. And this. Yeah, we all do it. We all do it. We just may not realize we're doing it. So I did my bargaining. I had my anger. Uh, I did the, I did the denial. I can't, couldn't believe what was happening. Uh, I lost a lot with her. Funny thing is, is I still love her. Some people would say, don't be an idiot, man. She she ditched you. She didn't want you. You got to move on. And you know what? I came to that realization. I think I don't think I'm going to forget about her. I need to find somebody that's going to make me forget about her. Somebody who will come into my life and snap me out of my little funk and make me forget about her by being with a new one. I don't know. I don't know if that helps or not. I don't even know if that's true. Sometimes we just have to endure because we can endure it. It's funny because I just read something uh, some philosopher once said about we endure because we can, more or less. It was something like that. You know, I don't know the exact thing, but so that's where I'm at. How did you handle a breakup? Have you ever been dumped? It's not fun. I've been dumped by the same woman three times, maybe four. And some people would say, well, you're just an idiot for scoring, for taking her back. Love is a powerful thing. Huey Lewis said himself about love. You know, it's a very powerful thing. It can make you do things that you don't want to do. It can make you do things that go against your norm because it's love. Love is probably the, one of the most devastating emotions that we have because love can make you feel the way I feel about my friends Mike and Bernie and even her I still love her I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie I will admit it to you I mean if and I've had these conversations with my mother because she's the only person that I could talk to about it and she doesn't like listening to me talk about her because you know they she's not her biggest fan but this is what she told me you're just going to have to take it. She goes, besides, if she walked in the room right now, what would you do? And you know what? I would know what I would do. I would probably thank the gods, and I mean that metaphorically, for bringing her back into my life. And then maybe in another month or two, curse her, curse her again for doing the same thing over and over again. Look, she has issues. I get that. I've tried to help her with them. And she's trying to help herself. I don't know if that's working out for her or not. I don't think so after what she did to me. But uh, she used to be my best listener, my only listener. I don't know if she still listens, but if you do, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I tried. I, I've I've tried, but you'll you'll put the blame on me that I did this or I didn't do that. When you're the one that also has the problems, you know, you just don't have to see it. <coughs> So, there you go. I still love you, but I got to get better. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. Be right back. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Well, this block is going to be about something interesting that we don't think about very much, but I thought about it today because 
We all see a doctor for one thing or another, for one reason or another. Today I went to go see my podiatrist. Now she's a nice enough gal. She's a very, she knows her shtick when it comes to feet. But I learned something today about doctors. Doctors are good listeners. They're like your bartender. They will listen to you. You know, they will let you pour out your guts. And they won't help you. You know, unless they can prescribe something, you know, then there's not much they can do other than listen to you, let you vent. So I was venting about dialysis and being on it and this and that. She sympathized. You know, she has patients that are also exhausted, tired, frustrated because you're in a system where you're constantly being treated, but nothing seems to get better. And we're all looking to get better. And then they feed us uh, lines about how you're going to get a kidney and we're going to get you out of here. You won't be on dialysis, you know, for the rest of your life. Because the way it stands, folks, I think I got maybe, maybe, if I'm really lucky, 10 years left. Uh, maybe even less. Just the way I feel right now. Maybe it's because the weather's changing and it's getting warmer. I just feel bull, you know. So anyway, pour my guts out to the doc. She listens, but doesn't offer any alternatives to what happens, you know. Although I did surprise her when I told her that a lot of dialysis patients still get high because they have no other outlet. They can't drink, so they smoke. It's a question I'm still wrestling with. So I came to the conclusion this afternoon that the doctors don't really give a rat's ass about you. If you're there to get your feet treated, that's what they're going to do. Treat your feet and send you on your way. If you're an eye doctor, you know, they're going to fix your eyes and send you on your way. The thing is, is to send you on your way hopefully a little bit better. If anything, I'm a little bit better equipped at what I've learned about doctors and doctor in. Uh, my tech at, at the clinic is studying to be a nurse. She'll be a nurse in about two more years if her studies go well. Ooh, that, that CBD gummy's kicking in. Woo. So she's working on it, and she's told me she will listen to me because she's like a bartender as well, and that's what her job is to do is to listen. But they really don't help you do anything. See, that's the thing. You know, and, oh, yeah, yeah, there's another thing. is that you, you, mo you probably already knew this, that doctors will not talk about, will not talk bad about other doctors in front of you. You know, you can sit there and say, oh, this doctor so-and-so is a son of a bitch and this and that. They'll just sit there and nod. Mm -hmm. But they won't offer any input on doctor so-and-so because it's, I guess it's ethically wrong for them to do so. I don't know. So, there you go. That's the dilemma. We're stuck. Don't know where to go. So, I will just you know, endure. That's all we can do. If you can endure it, endure it. That's something I learned a long time ago. If there's there's nothing that you cannot endure, just get it done and move on with your life. It's not going to... You're not going to solve the world's problems. Maybe you can solve one of yours, but that's just the way it goes. It's a weird game of cat and mouse with that. Best thing you can do is just roll with the punches, do your thing, and move on with your life. What is going to do? You know? So, what do you think? you have any doctor that you really like, that you really don't like? I mean, you it's you and I. You can say whatever you want. I don't care. He's not going to know. Oh, she. 
But doctors cover for each other. That's the bad thing. You know, they will not speak up unless maybe in the, the doctor's break room. Oh, you know, that SOS, he's a some bitch, you know, bada, bada, bada. You're listening to the Chilline Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. Stick around. We'll be right back. And we're back. It's Zero Dark Thirty, Friday, May the 5th. Wow, it's already May. We're almost halfway through this year. Hard to believe. Well, as you all know, especially the new listeners, listen up. When you hear the Traveling Woolburys, we're pretty much at the end of the line for this episode. Well, you made it with me this far. Just go with me another three minutes. We covered a lot of territory, as we always do. I told you a couple of sea stories, and they're going to be more coming in the future episodes. Uh, I'm going to start trying to add a guest or guests in coming episodes, because I will have the availability and the uh, people available to talk tell you their side, what they think. Maybe make it a little bit more interesting. So like I said, we covered a lot of territory. Told you some stuff. Maybe some stuff you didn't know. And if you learned something, well then you fulfilled your your necessity for being a human being. You have to learn something every day. So as I depart this week, I leave you with my standard departure greeting. Live, laugh, love. Live your life as today's your last on earth, and you will never walk on it again. And in that case, you have to laugh with everybody that you meet, even your enemies. You have to laugh with them. Laugh at yourself. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Love. Love everybody on God's good earth. Because you may not like them, but you gotta love them because they're your brother or your sister. So we will go on in this life living, laughing, loving ourselves and each other. It's a big world, we gotta share it. So until next week, I bid you adieu, good life, happiness. And until then, I leave you with the traveling Wilburys. Because we're going to live the life, people, all of us.